Welcome to Safety Talk. Personal safety expert Pete Canavan shares his insights and interviews experts who provide simple and effective tips, techniques, and technologies to keep you safe and secure both online and off. Here's Pete. Hello and welcome to Safety Talk. On this show, we discuss and bring attention to a wide range of safety and security products and solutions that are available to both businesses and individuals in the digital world and the physical world. I'm your host and personal safety expert, Pete Canavan. As a self-employed information technology consultant since 1995, and as a martial artist for over 20 years, I bring decades of personal safety and security experience to my role as the host of this show. To learn more about me and how I can secure your home or business, you can always visit my personal website at PeteCanavan.com. So thanks so much for our listeners for being here. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode, and also subscribe to our YouTube channel, which you can reach at safetytalkvideos.com. We appreciate you helping us spread the word about Safety Talk and the different safety and security solutions that exist because at the end of the day, we all want to be safe and secure. So don't forget to talk about us in our social circles. Now, this episode features a man who started his career in law enforcement. Uh, In this work, he experienced firsthand uh, through that direct experience the inefficiencies in security and safety that put individuals at risk. Building on that experience through his work in the United States State Department and also in the Fortune 500 company Security and Safety Technology Leadership Group, he built a consultancy to help organizations identify and address risk. He also began to see that there's a real need for companies to achieve higher levels of protection using service-based approaches, and that allows Fortune 100 level security operations to be adopted by organizations of all sizes. He's the founder of RAS Consulting and Investigations and RAS Watch, and he brings his clients a rich body of work and demonstrated experience in workplace security, private investigations, police service, teaching, and instruction. He's proud of his work as a police officer and investigator, and we obviously thank him so much for his service, and also as an instructor for the United States State Department's uh, anti-terrorism assistance program, and as a leader of a Fortune 500 company's global safety and security group, as I mentioned, he's making an impact in the world today. So it is my pleasure to welcome Ryan Schoenfeld to Safety Talk. Welcome, Ryan. Thanks, Pete. Good to be here. Happy to have you on the show. Uh, And, you know, show's all about safety and security, and it sounds uh, very interesting when I came across your information about how you can provide services that are typically only able to be afforded to and you know maybe implemented by Fortune 100 companies that can be utilized by smaller organizations and I think a lot of people would be very interested in that because uh, you know we all don't have Fortune 100 company budgets. Right. So uh, let's start off with uh, just you know how you kind of started on your your journey in, in safety and security and you know law enforcement and that and then uh, we'll get into some of the the details here. Sure. Yeah. So um, as you said in in the intro, I I started my career in law enforcement on the East Coast. I was kind of a weird guy. I went and got a master's in IT, specifically uh, system design and development. And from then, I've kind of always been on the high tech side of crime and and investigations. Um, Started with the State Department training foreign governments in identification and seizure of digital evidence. Um, And then moved into the private sector, actually running a branch for uh, Securitas, Global Guardian Company. Um, having relocated to the West Coast sounded uh, like a good idea to go work in Hollywood, uh, being a LA transplant. So I went to Fox and started as a manager of global investigations and then moved in and led the uh, Global Security and Safety Technology Group. I got uh, frustrated, to, to say the least, in my role there, um, not with Fox, which was a great company to work for, but in the, uh, the security industry, we we're trying to scale this global program um, and leverage a technology-first approach. And what I was finding in the industry was um, a lot of antiquated approaches and practices um, and a lack of help from people who understood our, our culture, the technology, how it would drive operations, um, and again, really have that Uh, culture and technology first approach. So I uh, founded RAS Consulting and Investigations. And through that work, we work with organizations to conceptualize, design, implement, and run security programs. Um, Both physical and digital? 
Yeah, our primary focus is is physical. However, we have crossed over into to digital and cyber uh, because the reality is in uh, you know this day and age there is a, a converge. There has to be a converged approach. To, yeah, they're intertwined. Absolutely, and and anybody who doesn't have that type of approach is is way behind. Um, we started doing a lot of work in in the tech world and the venture backed company world, and. Uh, finding companies that were growing faster than really anything we'd ever seen before um, after closing major funding rounds and doubling, tripling the size of the company in, in a year's time, what we were finding is that the security programs for those organizations weren't scaling with the companies. Um, and when you go back and, and ask and, and, and look at why, I mean, it's obvious security is very expensive. It's a cost center. It doesn't drive profit or revenue. It doesn't help them with uh, valuation, the, the venture capitalists who put their money into it don't necessarily want huge capital security expenses. Um, and so we started looking at the market and said, you know, how can these companies need security? We understand that they can't afford the massive capital outlays that, you know, a, a Fortune 100, a Fortune 500, even a Fortune 1000 company could do. Um, and so we reimagined this security as a service model um, and launched RAS Watch as a subscription-based service for these companies to give them this sort of fully-baked security program as a subscription-based service where the, the cost would grow as, as they scaled as a company, uh, but they didn't have to drop millions of dollars into building out their programs. Interesting, because, you know, as you said, there's not a direct, you know, correlation between the investment in in security and safety in the bottom line. And so with a startup that's getting, you know, funds from people that expect to see that return as quickly as possible, it's hard to sometimes justify. But on the flip side of it, if you have a problem that puts you out of business, now everybody loses everything. So you really cannot afford uh, not to invest in things that are going to protect the company. Because I mean, even, a, you know, a ransomware attack, which can attack you know, get through anybody's security. And we've seen that time and time again on almost, uh, you know, a daily basis. If you have, uh, you know, some sort of backup solution that is not taken into account, an offsite backup solution that gives you the redundancy with maybe onsite backups that could potentially be corrupted in addition to the, the primary data in a, in a ransomware attack, you're in big trouble. And uh, you can't go back and rebuild that easily. And, you know, as you know, the vast majority of companies the effects from a cyber attack can be very costly if they can even recover. And a lot and about a third of the companies that are attacked, they, you know, and held for ransom, they never recover. And so now what's the, the risk to an investor now when you say, well, you know, we need to invest in this because you may lose your entire investment if something were to occur of no fault of our own, but just because the cyber criminals are getting smarter and we have to make sure that we invest in the training as well as the technology to protect you know, today's individuals and businesses, both. So uh, well, now the, the risk and cost to the company too is, is not just hard dollars and cents, right? There's brand and reputation and all of these secondary effects, customer data breaches, um, you know, in, in lawsuits and brand and reputation can have just as much of a, of a negative effect. And, and you actually said a key word, which was return, right? Business leaders want to see a return on their investment. Um, and the, the nature and problem with security is if you're doing a really good job, measuring the return on investment is going to be almost impossible because you should have no events with which to measure your return. Exactly. Uh, that's always a challenge in, in pitching spend for a cost center. Yeah. And so you try to get somebody to wrap their head around it. Well, they're like, wait a minute, we can't measure it, but yet we need it. Well, right. yeah, you know, because the alternative, there is no alternative. You have to do it. So we've seen, and we're going to get into a little bit more of the details of what uh, your services provide. Uh, I'll pull up the site and, and let people see, and then you can kind of explain some of that. But uh, our focus has really shifted in recent months now to how do we mitigate the impact of the risk from the COVID-19 pandemic? And, you know, much as we are all getting sick and tired of hearing about it, it still is a reality that we have to deal with. And from a risk perspective, you know, as those in security, you know, leaders in security, you, me, et cetera, we have had to really shift our focus and say, okay, well, traditionally we've had to deal with security issues that dealt with, 
maybe physical breaches or workplace violence or active shooters or, you know, acts of nature, uh, you know, fires and floods and hurricanes and tornadoes and that sort of thing, uh, as well as cybersecurity breaches, you know, ransomware attacks and just uh, other things that, you know, maybe tricking people into, you know, supplying corporate data or giving credentials out or, you know, hacking email accounts. I mean, it, there's so many different things that we have to worry about. But now we've got to worry about a whole nother sort of category of risk, and that is the health and safety uh, in terms of the employees and what is the economic impact of these shutdowns, these slowdowns to today's companies. And I think a lot of them are seeing that, hey, you know what, we've gone to this virtual model and that has now enabled us to, to a large extent in a lot of companies, other than ones that absolutely have to be on site, like you know, service-based companies, you can do a lot of work, if not almost all of your work, virtually from anywhere. And so if you're able to do that, you are, on the one hand, reducing the risk in the physical environment at the office, right? But then you are increasing the risk from a cybersecurity perspective because now you've got more and more people logging in remotely. You've got a lot more potential holes in the network. So looking at it from that standpoint, it's like, all right, we've, we've looked at it in years past uh, one way and it's kind of been sort of the norm and the standard but now that's sort of been flipped and you know we've had to add this whole nother component to it so having uh, you know the ability to invest in services and technologies that you can do and you can scale uh, as a managed service really makes a lot of sense for companies and so the risks that they're facing uh, and, and how they're, they're, they're addressing those risks really, you know, on almost a daily basis, it's changing. And, you know, just when we think we've seen it all, we haven't, right? Yeah, the, uh, the risks have, have absolutely shifted. Obviously, the majority of companies right now are operating with a decentralized workforce. Um, interestingly, uh, a lot of companies have been surprised how effective the model's been for them. Um, and so the, the nature of what we're seeing is as companies look to build their post-COVID operation plans, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to see how many of them are reducing their square footage footprint, how many of them are going to stay decentralized and with a remote workforce. And that really shifts the, the nature of security and how organizations have, have historically imagined physical security and cybersecurity. Um, for their organizations. You know, the, the other reality, and, you know, we've heard COVID described as a, a silent killer, invisible enemy, um, you know, all kinds of, of different names. But, but the reality is for organizations who have historically defined perimeters for their facilities uh, to guard against bad actors, um, we now have an invisible virus that is our new bad actor that the, the perimeter of the facility needs to be reguarded against. And um, those procedures have been a, a huge focus for us um, and our clients over the last few months in how they uh, secure their workplaces for the people who do need to be back there already, um, but also the new procedures for the folks who are working from home on inherently insecure networks connecting into uh, corporate systems. So from the you know, looking at the current environment now, uh, from what you're seeing, what would you say are some of the key challenges that these companies are facing from, from an organizational standpoint when they're looking at it going, you know what, how are we going to address this? How are we going to address that? I, I think communications, um, you know, <laughs> communications is always a problem uh, or always results in problems for organizations. And I think uh, one of the things a lot of companies are finding is that a lack of or ineffective communications and regular communications with their workforce is causing more problems than, than benefit. Um, you know, we've seen different organizations try to bring their workforces back to the office um, for a host of reasons. Some of them probably didn't have a real reason to need to be there. Uh, many of them do because they're in the logistics or manufacturing space where, you know, you can't do that from home. Right. Um, and I think one of the things that companies hadn't really anticipated was the amount of pushback that they were going to get from the employees in terms of coming back because number one, in, in many cases, the companies had done a great job of preparing for the return and putting in good practices and policies, but they had done a poor job of keeping the workforce informed of what the new expectations were, what the uh, term I hate, new normal 
was going to be uh, when they returned to the office. And so all of a sudden they got this notification that said, hey, on this date, we're coming back to the office and, and people just didn't feel safe. Um, yeah, and I think the other part of it is you're seeing all of these additional challenges get thrown in as a major monkey wrench to that traditional return to the office because of the uncertainty surrounding, for example, education. And, you know, how is a family that has a couple of small kids that may be in, you know, second, third, fourth grade, uh, how are they going to manage going back to a physical job when their kids are only going to be, you know, at going to school, say, two days a week and then cyber school three days a week? How's that even going to work? So I think a lot of people are saying, hey, man, can't I stay working from home? I'm getting my job done. As you said, unless it's something where you have to be like hands-on, like in manufacturing or, or service or something. But that, I think, is, is throwing a huge monkey wrench into the whole situation. And uh, every day we're seeing more things getting canceled. And, I, and it's damaging to the psyche of not just the adults, but the children as well. You know, could you imagine having, you know, and a lot of people out there listening to this probably do have children that were really looking forward. You know, they got maybe gypped out of their spring sport because it got, you know, shut down in the middle of, of March or April there. And then now with a return to, quote, normalcy and trying to get, you know, these kids back to, you know, the soccer field, back to the football field, back to the sports that they want to play. And now they're being told they can't do that. So now there's a huge letdown. And I know, you know, my son has been out of school a year, my, my middle son, and his senior year, you know, he was a star running back for his football team. Well, if that had never happened, he and us would have missed out on that whole season and it would have never happened. So I can only just imagine the pain that parents and student athletes and students are feeling because they're losing that season. And so it, it, it's a mental drain. It's an emotional challenge, an emotional, uh, you know, problem. Uh, so, I mean, mentally and emotionally, as well as, you know, physically, you know, being able to stay in shape and, and run around and do your sport is all a, a holistic approach to what makes us really function as a society. And so without that return to a, a normal or a new normal, uh, just like we had after 9-11, right? We had the new normal, the post 9-11 world. We're unfortunately going to see a post COVID-19 world. And uh, for better or for worse, it's going to be here and we're going to have to adapt to it. But it's causing a lot of problems that are a ripple effect throughout the whole world, really. And that, that's really scary. And, and it's, it's not fair, but there's, there's not a whole lot you can do about it either. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a, a parent of, of two young kids. It sounds like my kids are younger than yours. But my daughter is supposed to start uh, kindergarten in a few weeks. Um, and she is starting kindergarten via Zoom, and uh, my wife and I are still trying to figure out what the heck uh, kindergarten over Zoom is going to look like. You can't uh, do it. You can't do it. My wife is a second grade teacher, yeah. and in those early primary grades, you have to have the interaction with the kids. You have to have them playing with things in the room. You've got to have them seeing the things on the walls. You've got to interact with them. You've got to, you're walking up and down and checking on things. You can see them. Uh, you know, all of these different things, you know, you got to change what you're doing every 20 minutes, right? You got to keep their attention going. You can't have a kindergartner sit in front of a Zoom meeting all day. It will not work. You know, college, fine, you know, unless you, you have to go to like a lab or something, right? It's a lecture. What the heck's the difference is a lecture? I'm listening to the guy on the screen or girl on the screen versus going to a, a building and sitting in a chair and listening to him. That's different. But in the primary education levels, like you're saying, you got one going to kindergarten, that's a, it's going to, it's not going to work and it's, and they're, and they're going to suffer before, because of it. Yep. Yeah. I mean, uh, the impacts are great and it's, it's crazy to, to see all of the different industries and segments of industries that COVID's impacted not only directly, but, but indirectly as the, the impacts to the economy and people staying home, um, have gotten greater and greater. Um, you know, I'm, I'm somebody who was on a, a plane almost every week last year, um, you know, flew a hundred something thousand miles and a uh, hundred something nights in hotels. And, uh, you know, I've been on probably two planes this year, pre COVID I've stayed in one hotel. Um, so all of those industries are just decimated. Um, but, but the impacts, you know, it's not just the cost to, to, to those businesses, right. Or you think about, uh, Disney here in, in California or Disney in Florida where there's kind of entire cities economies built around 
that park being open and having tourism and, and having people there. Um, so it's, it's just really wild to, to see the effects and, and the companies that are starting to reopen or that are looking to reopen, you know, some of them have been hit so hard financially yet uh, they have to spend all of this money to put safety and, and security controls in place to even get their workforce back safely with, with money that they likely don't have to spend right now. It's but a double they whammy. They're yeah. not pulling in the income and they've had to spend more money. <laughs> that's right. Um, and, you know, in the last few weeks, if, if for anybody that's been watching the news, there's been more and more lawsuits and class action lawsuits that have been popping up against uh, organizations and corporations by employees and unions and families of employees um, for workplaces that just did not put, or at least in, in their opinion or allegedly, did not put the right safety protocols in place for people to come back to work amidst this pandemic. And that's a mess because that's totally subjective many times. There are no hard and fast guidelines, right? It, it, they're told, you know, clean things and sanitize things. And, uh, you know, there's, there's no real set standard. So I think a lot of these lawsuits should never even see the light of day because this is an unprecedented thing that's happened. And so really organizations and individuals both should be insulated from that. You shouldn't be allowed to do this. You know what I mean? Because people are taking advantage of it, right? It's almost like they're gold diggers. It's like, well, well, you know, we can say that they didn't do this and that we can sue the company and make money. And I don't agree with any of that. They need to, there, look, if you're not comfortable with something, you need to make a change. You know, don't blame people unless there's a blatantly obvious problem where like, for example, nothing was done or it was, you have evidence and proof of something like that. But otherwise, you know, what, what can you do? Yeah, look, I mean, I, I think it, it goes both ways. We, we have a system of, of justice here where anybody can sue anybody for anything. Um, and it, it's up to the system to weed through the, the garbage. Right. But, um, you know, I think there's kind of, a, there's two types of people here. There's the organizations that are doing the best they can with the information that's available. And there's the organizations that are doing nothing. And, and there are some that are taking advantage of their workers and are not putting safety first. Um, and I think there should be liability for those folks. But um, right. the, the reality is, yeah, but the reality is none of these organizations have ever dealt with anything like this before. Right. You know, I, And you get conflicting information. One day you hear you're supposed to do this. The next day you're, you're not supposed to do that. It's like. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's constantly evolving. And, you know, one of the things we talk about with our companies in terms of COVID protocols that, that they put in place is if you think this is something that you're going to write once and set it and forget it, then you've got completely the wrong attitude because this program is going to evolve and adapt as, as new information becomes available. Um, you know, as I said, nobody's done this before. It's new for everybody. The, the CDC's information is changing uh, frequently. The, you know, the products that are emergency use authorized by the FDA are getting authorization. Authorizations get pulled. They get new authorizations. So it's, if you can't be nimble and adapt quickly, um, you know, there's, there's another thing coming, I think. Yeah, it's wild. So let's let's look at, you know, obviously before this whole thing happened, you know, there there were the quote, you know, normal risks that workplaces had to deal with, but now in this landscape of, you know, the post COVID nineteen world, how do you help organizations identify those risks? As you said, because especially when they they're changing constantly. Yeah, I mean, the, the risk by definition hasn't changed, but what those specific things are that can can impact the organization and the potential negative outcome of those has has changed. So they still have many of the same risks, although with less people coming to the office or for companies who are closing their offices, obviously that that profile has changed slightly. You know, adding this pandemic obviously into the mix of a risk and what its potential impact to the organization is is huge. And so I think putting in, um, helping organizations understand kind of where their people are, both physically and also within the scope of COVID, right? Who's, who's had the virus? How have they done? 
Where do they stand? How is the organization going to do things like testing and, and symptom reporting? And, um, you know, we, we, we don't say contact tracing in, in the context of uh, a company because that's really a public health function, but workplace exposure tracing. Um, Which is essentially the same thing. So I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, how important is that? in your opinion? Because, you know, some people would say, well, look, you know, we don't do this for every other type of, uh, you know, sickness or disease that's out there. Obviously, COVID changes all the time. It can be very, very bad, but it can also not affect people so, so badly, such as in the very young, right? And children, they found that, you know, there's not a single instance of a child passing it to a teacher in the entire world at this point. And so, that's not something you have to worry about in a workplace environment, but in a workplace, you know, the, as you said, they don't like to say contact tracing, right. But workplace uh, exposure tracing, uh, what, how, how big of a role do you think that is going to play or is playing uh, as people begin to return to their place of employment? I think it plays a big role. I think it needs to play a role. The reality is, you know, the, the, the U S doesn't have a national infrastructure for, for contact tracing. And so for companies that operate in multiple cities and states, um, they're, the only thing that they have for them are the, the local health departments in each of those municipalities. And it doesn't really help a private sector company with what's happening across a, sort of a cross-section or across their organization. And so I think companies really need to take it upon themselves. They do not need to become public health departments, but I do think they have an obligation to let people know that if there is an exposure in the workplace, um, you know, that, that there has been an exposure and, and what they need to do. What I think companies are doing really wrong is um, right now, let's say you've got a, a building with, you know, five floors and 500 employees and one person tests positive for COVID that works on the, the first floor of that building. Many companies are saying to all 500 people on, on the five floors, you know, stay home and quarantine for two weeks. When in reality, you know, by definition, those 500 people have not been exposed. Um, and so the approach that, that we're taking and, and helping companies implement and actually offering as a managed service is um, a much more surgical approach through integrations into the access control system, the Wi-Fi system, uh, Bluetooth location sensors, so that we actually know where people are in the building, how close they are to each other, if they're together for that prolonged period of time that meets the criteria of a contact. And then rather than sending notifications to 500 people to stay home for two weeks, which can be hugely disruptive to the business of the company, maybe it's five people that um, are contacts or 10 people or 15. Um, and I think that's really how organizations have to approach it. Otherwise, you know, once a month, they're going to have their entire company quarantining for two weeks. Yeah, which is absolutely insane. Now, one of the things that your company, RAS Watch, does, uh, and I'll, I'll pull the up here. People are watching this uh, on uh, the video. If not, they can go to raswatch.com. Uh, but on the screen now, I, I pulled it up uh, your website because you've some of the services you offer are access control monitoring, which you were just talking about, where you're saying that you can actually, the company can access or manage um, and monitor, I'm assuming, the access control. Maybe you can explain that a little bit to, uh, to our listeners. Yeah. So, you know, the stuff that's on our website are the services that, that we've offered pre-COVID. Um, we have not added a section to the site on some of the COVID services. So access control monitoring is really um, looking at door events like a door being forced open, door being held open, um, and remotely managing that event for a company as if, you know, we were their in-house security operations center. So in the, so, so let's take this then uh, a step further and kind of extrapolate it out. So let's say uh, my company hires RAS Watch to monitor my access control. Mm -hmm. If there is, let's say, let's use your example of you got, a, I have a building, I've got five floors, I've got 100 employees in fl a floor, so I've got 500 employees. Are you able to, or does the system already have in place, or does it have the ability to be such that if, you know, Mary on the second floor has tested positive for COVID, 
are you able to then go back and say, okay, over the last week, where has she been in the building and who has she come in contact with using sort of the, the, the logs and some of the other things that the, the monitoring will uh, enable you to do? Absolutely. So um, we can definitely say who was where in the building over the last week. The, you know, who is in contact with who is going to depend kind of on the granularity or the deployment of your access system. So, you know, if, if you've got one card reader per floor, then the only granularity that we can find is who was on that floor each day. Whereas if you have to go through five different doorways to get to Mary's desk, um, I know who came through that last doorway closest to, to her desk. Now, tie that data in with the Wi-Fi data, right? So where, where was Mary's phone connected to the Wi-Fi in the building and, and for how long? Or, you know, for companies that want to do uh, Bluetooth location, you can see um, in real time how long people were, uh, where they were pretty specifically, um, and how long they were together. And, and so the, the more data that we can add to our, our query when we find out that Mary's positive, the smaller the pool of people that we have to notify to quarantine and, and get tested is. So you could basically pull up a report and say, okay, here are the criteria that we're looking at. You know, give me a list of everybody who we need to or should notify and say, hey, you, you know, you need to be tested because you potentially came in contact with somebody that, that was po tested positive. And then you can just take that subset of those 500 people. Let's say there's 50 of them. Well, now you've only got to worry about a 10th of your entire workforce than the entire you know, workforce. And obviously that's, that's huge from a business perspective because is it going to be perfect? No, it's probably not perfect, but it's going to allow you to, you know, still keep 90% of your people you know, working <laughs> as opposed to the alternative. That's right. Um, and, you know, one of the things that, that we made sure we put in place for, for our clients um, is testing because it's been a real problem in, in several markets for uh, employers to get their employees tested and get the results, more importantly, back in a timely manner. Um, so we have a partnership with a private lab that still guarantees 24 to 48 hour turnaround on uh, the FDA authorized tests. And on top of that, uh, the tests are shipped directly to the employee's home for self-administration. So they don't need to show up at a public testing site. They don't need to wait for an appointment. They get something overnighted to them. It's a uh, FDA authorized saliva-based test. They spit in the tube, ship it back, and uh, 24 to 48 hours, they're either cleared to return to work or they, you know, they're confirmed positive. That's awesome. Very, very good because obviously you need to limit exposure and, and that's a great way to do that. So let's, let's talk about a few of the other services here. You have this anomaly detection using real-time machine learning. What is that all about? Yeah, so in a historical approach in a security operations center, you see a bunch of, of screens on the wall and, and guards or people sitting there kind of statically watching those displays. We know that that's a highly ineffective approach to monitoring security. And so by leveraging various machine learning algorithms and, and analytics, we're able to have our folks, folks' attention drawn to events that are anomalous, um, you know, that within the, the field of view of that camera, these things don't typically happen or they should not be happening um, in that location or at that time. And so rather than getting that screen fatigue of somebody statically staring there and, and zoning off, their attention is drawn to those events in real time. Which keeps them sharper. And, and that, that's a huge thing, like you said, because somebody's sitting there staring at screens all day long, you kind of get blind to it. You know, it's like you look at anything for a long period of time and all of a sudden you just don't see it anymore. So that's awesome because if it's able to detect, you know, certain anomalies that you've programmed into the system, whether it's you know, uh, problems with power or some other sensors that have been programmed, maybe a water, you know, it's, it's detecting a, a water leak or something like that. Uh, those are all, that's the kind of stuff it can do, right? That's right. Um, you know, some of the other anomaly detection stuff that's important, particularly um, with this decentralized workforce is, is really understanding where your people are, um, when they typically work, what they normally do, and alerting 
when things are out of the norm. So like if, if you know that somebody's working from home and all of a sudden their badge scans at the office in the middle of the night, um, that's an anomaly or somebody right. is a, an hourly employee that typically only logs into their system or into VPN from home between these hours. And all of a sudden there's a, a middle of the night login or a 2 AM login, you know, those types of, of anomalous behaviors, even if they're not blocked, need to at least be uh, flagged and investigated. Well, it's got to be awesome having your IT background because <laughs> it helps to be able to sort of, you know, design and, and then, you know, see these sorts of things implemented because, you know, technology can do amazing things. And when we're very specific in what it is that we want computers to do, they're usually very good at it. And with the advent of, you know, uh, faster processing power and, you know, using artificial intelligence and machine learning uh, is essentially, you know, AI, right? Uh, you're, you're, you're able to do a lot more with that. So that's, uh, that's fantastic. Uh, some of the other services you, uh, you also have here, uh, one of the, the biggies today is obviously social media, right? So uh, what is the, the monitoring and analysis there? Uh, is that so if somebody mentions your company name in a social media post, it can be flagged and you can be alerted? Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, we use social media monitoring um, for really two main functions. One is for threats against businesses um, and key folks within the business. Um, so whether somebody, a, a disgruntled employee is making threats of workplace violence, um, you know, there's also uh, brand, brand awareness uh, implications from what people are posting on social media. And so we're able to kind of target those things that we're looking for, keywords. It's, it's, not, it's not monitoring employees and what they're posting on social media. It's really about monitoring uh, keywords and topics uh, about, a, about an organization. That's awesome because damage control is something that you can, you know, lessen uh, the impact if you catch things early, right? So if somebody's, something's going on online and you, you kind of can nip it in the bud before it gets out of control, that's huge. And, you know, organizations, they have an obligation to do that, right? Because they have to answer to not just their employees, but to everybody else involved in the company. You know, there may be boards of directors and shareholders. And so anything that has a negative impact on the organization could, for example, impact share price, right? And if your shares of your company drop by 30%, uh, that could be a huge problem. It's going to make a lot of people very nervous and upset and angry, et cetera. So being able to mitigate those risks is a very, very important thing today because we all know that stuff can spread around the internet like wildfire. And, you know, all of a sudden somebody posts something and next thing you know, it's shared 10,000 times and you're on the front page of the paper and you're being talked about in the news that night and you're going, what in the world just happened? And, and so that's, uh, that's something that's, that's very critical today more than ever. And so that's a, that's a very cool uh, service that you guys provide. Well, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned active shooter, which is, you know, for, for your ever, everyday business, it's probably a low uh, likelihood that an active shooter is going to occur to most businesses. However, it's one of the highest impacts if it does occur. Right. Um, and the reality of active shooter events, if you go back and look historically, is there's almost always a good pre-event indicator, um, mm -hmm. whether it's a, a manifesto that's posted to social media, something that's written online, uh, a way in which people were interacting with coworkers, friends, family. Um, and so it's really, it's inexpensive and, and high impact for organizations to look for those indicators and it's not just social media monitoring it's it's workplace violence awareness training for the employees so that they know what to look for when you know when they see or hear somebody say something that that should be a, a an indication or a, a trigger for them um, you know who to report it to how to report it um, you know those are all very low-cost things that companies can put in place to protect their people Sure. And at the end of the day, I mean, you know, your people are the most important assets to the business. Without them, it Absolutely. doesn't work. Right. Uh, something I thought that was really cool when I was looking at this, uh, at your site here before we, we came on was, you know, one of the big things that I talk about all the time is being armed with awareness, right? Situational awareness. And the 
importance of being aware of the people, the places, and the objects around you, the things that are occurring both locally as well as globally, regionally, etc. And so when I saw this, I thought it was really interesting because you have the ability to sort of monitor and have like a situational awareness component that looks at anything that could potentially be occurring around your business or around sites. You know, if you've got a disparate, you know, business and you're in, you know, five different states, you could be monitoring things that are happening. And, you know, as we see riots occur, like, you know, like crazy all over the place. Uh, that's something that I think would be a really, you know, people are going to realize how much more important a service like that is today than six months ago. That's right. Yeah, uh, definitely knowing what's happening around you and it's you know, the, the protests and, and, and some of the, the looting and, and violence that occurred during, during all of the protests. This was really key to some of our clients protecting their, uh, their assets during all of that. But then there's you know, the everyday run-of-the-mill stuff that happens. Like uh, last week, I think in Texas maybe, there was a, a hazmat train that derailed and there were uh, toxic fumes in, in the air with 20 mile an hour wind gusts within, you know, about two blocks of a customer's facility. And so being able to proactively let them know, you know, this is what's going on, suggesting remediation, like, you know, closing the windows, turning off the air conditioning, um, making right. sure that they were aware of, of that event and, and its potential impact and, uh, recommended remediation. So yeah. does that, so, so does that technology, monitor for any news events within the defined area by region, by state, by uh, GPS locate, you know what I mean? Like how, how would that work? So like if I'm, you know, I'm here in Northeast Pennsylvania right now, let's say there was an event and I was subscribed to the service and something like you said, like a train derailed and the toxic fumes uh, are, are, you know, spilling out into the air and, you know, blowing my way that's obviously going to be something that's going to go right out, you know, maybe on the news wires or on, uh, you know, different news agencies. So would you monitor the local news stations within that geographic area of where a client is located, for example, as well as like news wires? Like I'm just trying to dig a little bit deeper into how that would sort of do that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's more automated than that. Um, but it's, and, and typically our information's coming in before the wires have picked it up. Uh, but we subscribe to several services, which include data from, from RSS feeds, social media, um, self-reporting, uh, publicly available, you know, CAD dispatch information that, you know, police or law enforcement are responding, fires mm -hmm. responding. Um, so we're getting the information pretty early. We, we get to know, you know, what level of validation the event has, you know, so if it's only like one citizen reporting this, then it may be unverified and right. either do our own research or wait to see a second or third person uh, report in kind of similar actually to like the citizen app, for example. Um, and the way it works, it's, it's actually a software where we plot the locations of all of our customers assets. So longitude, latitude and we're able to set notification parameters around the types of events, the severity of the event, and the proximity to the facility, and we send out notifications to, to customers based on those thresholds and parameters. That's awesome. There's a company that I learned about uh, at the ISC West show, no, East, I'm sorry, at, uh, in New York the end of last year that I went to, and they had a technology there that – I don't know if you interface with it or if you've heard about it. And I'm going to have to, you know, off uh, after the interview, off to try to find and get it to you. But they provide that sort of service and they know about anything before anybody else. Like the federal government uses their service. And I was like, I was blown away by it when they were showing me how it works. Um, yeah, we subscribe to multiple platforms. Um, yeah, it might be one you're using already. I, I just can't think of the name of it offhand, but it's super cool because that's exactly what it, it does is it helps you know about things basically almost instantly when they occur, you know, in whatever, you know, like you said, whatever, with whatever parameters you've set up to be notified with. So that's a, that's a, that's all really awesome. Awesome. We, stuff. Have, we have a couple of hypotheses for kind of how RAS watch operates. One is that organizations are uh, affected by security much younger in their life than they were historically, largely because of, 
of social media. We have such a, a polarized world right now. Um, mm-hmm. But because of access to more information online and, and companies are, are global earlier than they ever were because of that, their risk profile is increased at a younger age as a company than ever historically. And the second piece is that every company we talk to would put more security in place if it was affordable and accessible. Um, And so the reality is companies can subscribe to the services you're talking about that you saw at ISC that provide the intel. But in practicality, most of them don't have the teams in place to monitor them, to, to action the information when it comes in. Generally, they don't have anybody around the clock. And so there's a whole liability question around, well, if we received a critical alert at two o'clock in the morning when the, the one person who gets the alerts was sleeping and did nothing with it, is that actually improving the liability of the company or is that making it worse? Right. No, it's a, it's a good point. So the, the communications aspect of it is big as well. And that's, you know, you guys have, you know, MassCom built into it. Uh, you know, we're not going to get into every one of these, but, you know, incident management, you know, so you can manage, uh, you know, any incidents that, uh, you know, you can focus on the business, uh, tracking the, uh, the travel of your employees and uh, support for investigation. So very, uh, very cool stuff that the, the company does. So I encourage, you know, people to look at, uh, at RASwatch.com and, and take a look at what the company's services are all about. Because today you can't be too safe. You can't be too secure. We, we see challenges cropping up all the time. It's very difficult for you to, you know, keep your finger on the pulse of all of them. Uh, and it's impossible to. So having a company that's devoted to doing just that is really going to enable you to, to focus on your business. And that's what, you know, we all need to be doing is focus on our business and the bottom line and, you know, in our lives and not have to, to worry and waste a lot of time setting up or reinventing the wheel when it comes to, you know, different services and, things that, that can improve the safety and security of the business. So, so uh, very, very uh, interesting information, Ryan. Uh, now, how, without getting into the specifics of pricing, do you, how do you bill for a client? Is it like a monthly service? Is it based on number of employees, based on number of locations? How does, how does that part of it work for someone yeah. who's interested? Yeah, we're, we're a subscription based company. So, uh, the good news for, for our clients is there's no major capital outlay. It's a, you pay monthly for what we provide you. Um, and generally it's based on a, uh, per employee model. Gotcha. So it's, and so they're, if they want to, you know, subscribe to the service, they can do so. They can just build it in as a monthly expense. And, um, as the company grows, yeah, your, your, your cost might go up a little bit, but, Again, what's the alternative? You know, by being able to implement a lot of the the services that Arias Watch provides, it's uh, it's something that's going to really, I think, give people a peace of mind. Uh, you know, insurance companies are going to love it, right? Because they're going to say, "Well, hey, look, you're being real proactive. Maybe they'll, you know, maybe even give you a break on your insurance policy to a certain extent." You're working with some of the major carriers on that right now. Are you really? Yeah, because that's interesting because that's that's one of the things I thought of, and uh, it's something that. Hey, if they don't have to pay out, you know, millions and millions of dollars in claims because a service was able to prevent a, you know, a major problem, uh, whether it's, you know, whatever it's related to, I mean, that helps everybody, you know, insurance companies as well as the business and the employees. So now how does this really help, um, a company that says, okay, well, I've have all, all, my, all my operations are on site right now. I have to keep making all these investments in technology. You know, every couple of years I'm being told I got to upgrade this and, and pay for that. And I've got employees that I have to have, you know, staff and monitor these things. So what would you say to them, you know, in terms of what considerations they should be making when looking at maybe what they're currently doing at their business right now versus looking at a solution that you're providing? Well, our, our, uh, our platform, our solution really solves that problem for companies. They pay their monthly subscription. We take care of all of that for them. So they don't need staff to monitor. They don't need to worry about, uh, you know, con- consistent software upgrades and updates. And, you know, we are, we are their security and safety program in a box, everything that they need soup to nuts. And we offer packages for, you know, smaller companies with a more basic 
need. And as they scale and become more of a, an enterprise company, um, we have that package as well. So they uh, essentially would be able to, uh, your, your system can tie in with the existing infrastructure, right? Through some sort of API interface or whatnot, where you say, okay, this is the system you're using. This is the company you're using. Great. We've got an API that can just pop right in. It can integrate with it. Then we program it into our system and now we start monitoring it? For the most part. There's a couple of systems we don't and don't want to interface with. <laughs> um, but for the most part, the answer is yes. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I, obviously nobody's going to interface with everything. But, you know, probably, you know, the bigger ones are the ones that are more common place. Uh, it makes sense to do well, that. Because yeah, less about to- the bigger ones, more about the ones with like, uh, known cybersecurity issues and stuff that we just, there's, there's no reason for us to make an effort to integrate with those. Gotcha. Because it would increase the risk. Incre- well, yeah, I mean, the, the company already has significant risk for themselves. Uh, we don't want to introduce that risk into our environment. Exactly. Exactly. Well, no, and you have to, because you, you got to keep your company safe too, right? And when you're monitoring and, and in all of these other systems, uh, you've got to make sure you've got bulletproof security. I mean, there's nothing no such thing as 100% secure, right? I mean, it just doesn't exist. But if you can make it, you know, 99.9% secure, well, then you're doing a pretty darn good job. Right. So that's, uh, that's awesome. Uh, now, what happens if there's a company, for example, that says, well, you know, I'd like for you to take over maybe these sections of monitoring for me, but I still want to, you know, do some of this myself, maybe physical monitoring of, you know, my access control, but I want you to handle other things. You're able to do that, right? They can kind of pick and choose what they want to do? Yeah. So we, we've got one client we're working with now that wants us to do Intel, but they want to keep the, the monitoring of like door alarm, door alerts and stuff internal. Um, we're onboarding a client right now who wants to keep monitoring on site at their facility Monday through Friday business hours, uh, but they want to shift it to us after hours, weekends. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, we've got one that we're working with right now to onboard that uh, just wants us as a failover operations center because they learned during this pandemic that their uh, resiliency uh, was not as great as they had thought. And so they said, well, we, we need a backup GSOC and uh, we either can spend all the money to build a second one in, in Ireland or wherever ourselves, or we can just fail over to uh, RAS watch. So they're able to do that. So they could basically say, I want you guys to only monitor off hours and weekends. And, there, and so there's something that just flips automatically or they basically flip a switch and say, okay, we're done for the week. It's on you guys now. That's right. Oh, I love it. I love it because it's the bottom line is you got to stay on top of it all the time. And if you're a nine to five business and you're not around all the time and nobody's monitoring it and something happens, well, you don't want to be notified with it after the fact, right? <laughs> you know, well, after somebody's already expense. broken it. What's you know, that? It's a huge expense, 24 hour staffing. Um, and most organizations are not 24 hour organizations. And so it begs the question, why do you need a team of dedicated people sitting there around the clock that probably are not doing a whole lot of work after hours? Right. Um, so we're, we're a shared service. We're a fraction of the cost of doing it yourself, even if you wanted to try. And so if nothing else, the numbers work out and in this sort of post, not post COVID world, but hopefully soon post COVID (laughs) world. Um, you know, where just about every organization, unless you're Zoom or, you know, one of the other companies that has thrived through COVID is looking to cut costs. Um, you know, it's, it's a good option. I I think it's a great option because like you said, a lot of smaller companies don't want or can't make a big investment in their security, even though they need it. So it gives them a great, a great option to do so. And then having the ability to have it as a backup. I mean, you know, security center, that's, that's fantastic as well. So if, you know, there's a problem with your primary, you can flip over to, to your backup solution and you, and you can keep on cranking while you figure out what's going on with the primary system. That's right. Uh, where, like, so and we're getting fast, uh, close to the end of our hour here already. Uh, always goes quickly. Uh, what, so let's just, just take a look, uh, if you would, like future-wise. So there are obviously the current challenges that, companies are facing now with regard to the pandemic that they've really never had to deal with before, uh, both, you know, physical and cyber and everything else. What COVID aside, what do you see next in terms of the trends in the industry going forward that are going to be required that are going to be evolving? 
Well, I think, um, you know, decentralizing is just starting. I think, you know, we're absolutely going to see um, more and more work from home as a, as a policy that's offered to, to employees. Um, I think we're already seeing a faster shift or faster adoption than we were previously to cloud and hosted solutions. Um, you know, from a whole host of, of security and infrastructure reasons, but also, you know, if, if you're closing down physical facilities, uh, the need to house servers and physical infrastructure kind of, or even the ability goes away. Um, we're also starting to see a lot more shift to uh, vendors, managed services than, than in-house. Um, and in the security operations center world, um, you know, companies that pre-COVID had zero interest in, in our model or approach to security are all of a sudden interested again uh, because the question is, if, if we're closing facilities and having all of our workforce remote, what is this big operations center that we still have to staff real estate and, and heads for? So I, I think, you know, it, it's all going to turn on its head. And I think security leadership needs to be prepared to think about the workplace in the context of not just the company-owned facilities that they've historically thought about it, but how you keep your decentralized workforce safe in their homes, both physically and, and electronically. Absolutely. So as a, I guess, as a compact summary for those that are, that are listening and watching, uh, I always ask my guests to kind of give me the, uh, you know, their, their really concise summary of the company. And, and you sent something over and I thought it was great. And I just want to leave our listeners with this as we wrap up. And that is that basically RAS Watch takes the cost and takes the oversight of having a physical security operations center. And it shifts that to basically a service, right? Just like a software as a service type thing. And to an external service and it's going to deliver the same and in many cases probably better oversight into what that risk landscape looks at uh, or is for an organization uh, because you're a company that does this day in and day out that's all the company does an organization that is you know building widgets or selling products or you know software or whatever it happens to be that they're doing they're not in the business of safety and security and so to be able to become an expert in it really isn't something that they can afford to do or they, they need to do or they should do, right? They need to focus on their business. So offloading all of that responsibility or at least a portion of it to a company like RAS Watch is something that I think is, is going to, as you put it, uh, we're going to see this become more in demand as more things shift offsite, but yet you still need the capabilities of monitoring physical locations, right? That's right. It was a little bit longer than concise, but <laughs> um, but essentially that's what you're doing. You're taking that cost and you're and you're taking it off the organization and you're you're taking care of it for them uh, in whatever capacity they want. And so that's uh, that's really neat. So if people want to learn more about you, Ryan or RAS Watch, uh, they can go to uh, the website is raswatch.com, and uh, your other company is uh, RAS uh, Consulting and Investigations. That website is RAS Security Group. Dot com. Uh, I'm assuming that we, they can find you on social media as well if they want to connect with you, right? Connect with me on LinkedIn. Okay. The uh, name is Ryan Schoenfeld, S-C-H-O-N-F-E-L-D, right? That's right. And I'll make sure I post those links on there. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Do you have any last thoughts that you want to leave our audience with today? No, this was great. Thanks for having me. I, I think the, the one thing that employers that are listening to this need to keep in mind and it, it's reiterated by almost every law firm that we do work with is do what would be seen as reasonable. Um, and that applies to safety and violence and COVID and just however you operate, do what's reasonable. Very good advice. Very good advice. Awesome. Uh, so for any of our listeners that are interested in free information about cybersecurity, you know, we talked about that a little bit today here. Um, you could discover the seven simple steps to creating a cybersecurity program for your business by going to cyberbizplan.com. It's a uh, website that I have. It provides information about how to create a cybersecurity plan for your business. 
without being an IT expert, without having to spend tens of thousands of dollars on consultants and, you know, and, and having to hire more people, et cetera. Uh, it really gives you a good idea, good idea of what to do. So again, thanks to Ryan from RAS for being here. Thanks to our listeners for tuning in to Safety Talk. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to get the latest security and safety information, as well as listen to past episodes at uh, your favorite podcast network, of course, safetytalkpodcast.com, and the videos at safetytalkvideos.com. So until next time, everybody, please stay safe. Thanks for tuning in to Safety Talk. You can listen to past episodes and get the latest safety news at our website, safetytalkpodcast.com. Be sure to visit our other websites for free safety checklists and infographics. You can also sign up for free online self-defense training, learn about college campus safety, and find out more about Pete and how he can help educate your school or business through his speaking, workshops, seminars, and consulting. Subscribe to the Safety Talk podcast and never miss out on any new safety information. Until next time, stay safe.